2022 is that right yeah well today's 28th but yeah but it's the week of, of the week of the 27th yeah that's that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's like professional i think my calendar starts on monday my so. calendar starts oh so not on monday yeah that's yeah monday is a good good day i am your host zach hall founder and uh editor at spaceexport.com i am joined by my co-host seth krakowski how are you seth i'm good how are you terrific this week, we will talk about the latest in NASA's Artemis program, as well as other missions, SpaceX, and uh, what's new with Starlink and spacesuits this week, as well as the latest with ULA's Vulcan rocket and Blue Origin's BE-4 engine. Let's jump in, Seth. So this week, uh, uh, Artemis, the Artemis program, we have a, a bit of news I'll begin with an update on Space Launch System's wet dress rehearsal from last week that happened on uh, last Monday. Mm -hmm. And I believe you and Derek discussed that and how they mostly finished without issue. And then the question mark was, will they require another wet dress rehearsal where they tried to fuel the rocket and get as close to T minus zero as possible? And uh, since then, NASA has looked at the data They've held a news conference and they discuss next, next plans, next steps. So what have you got to say on that stuff? So, yeah, so they've concluded that they don't need to do another wet dress rehearsal. Although I think in my opinion, wet dress rehearsal in air quotes, they won't do a formal wet dress rehearsal. But I would I would bet we're going to see a couple probably like extra tests during the first launch countdown of, uh, of Artemis 1 um, just to make sure they, they kind of complete that. But they kind of want to check off this this wet dress rehearsal park. So that's what they've done. Uh, and they announced some, some launch dates for us as well. Whether or not they actually hit that is up for debate, but uh, they plan on launching. I believe it's, it's August 23rd. The September 6th is the first one, but that excludes um, August 30th through September 1st. Yeah. So, so what NASA, what NASA said on Friday was that um, on July 1st, so that's just coming up Friday, they plan to return the SLS rocket to the vehicle assembly building. Uh, and that's, you know, a slow walk back to the VEB. Very slow. Uh, and then they will take what they say is a period of six to eight weeks to uh, do what's left on the rocket. You know, some some further testing and, and preparation. Um, and that six to eight weeks, you know, best case scenario, six weeks. That's That's mm. what, you know, kind of includes the... Um, the August 23 to September 6 launch window. Mm -hmm. They have the 12 launch opportunities then. Um, if, if they, you know, I, I mean, eight weeks realistically gets you into <laughs> September. Yeah. And, and, and they, they were even asking the call, you know, do, do they have they rolled that out yet or is it still on the table? And they say it's very much still on the table, you know, optimistically, if everything goes as planned. I would not bet money on that launch window happening just because. You know, reality. <laughs> would you say you was short that uh, uh that day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what is it? Am I bullish or bearish on that? I don't know. But uh they, yeah. they say it's on the table for now. Um which is it's cool. Like that's that's nice. I, I doubt it will be August. I I doubt it will be the beginning of September. Mm -hmm. Uh if not, then the next window opens 
And, and this is sort of preliminary for now. It could change, but this is based on um, dates given a few months ago. So in the spring timeline, they say that they have 15 launch opportunities between September 19th and August 4th, with uh, the only exclusion there being September 29th. So that's interesting. Um, from there, you get into October, which is uh, October 17th until Halloween. <laughs> we, uh, we always get teased with a Halloween launch like every year, and it, yeah, it never happens. There's yeah, always, it usually doesn't happen. There's yeah. plans to dress up for like for media at the launch site, and like it never yeah. happens. There's there's nice uh, pun filled headlines from NASA's newsroom about you know what will happen. But, uh, <laughs> it ends up being only, a full moon tune and everything. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean fingers crossed that this is the beginning of September. I think that's really neat. Um, myself as as my role at Nine to Five Mac requires uh, paying attention to the iPhone event. Those are also at the beginning of September, so I'm very much hoping that. Um, you know, either A, you get it out of the way mm-hmm. <laughs> and not on like September 6th. I don't know. I'll, I'll look at the calendar and see, you know, w- in September, when would, um, okay, September 6th is a, is a Tuesday. So that very much could be the iPhone event day. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, that's true. It could be. That's yeah. Close. Yeah. Yeah. Su- super related, super relevant to NASA. Once you uh, get into that September, October range, that's when you start getting into kind of like the, the more uh, active part of hurricane season. So, sure. That's gonna be like really challenging because I don't, I doubt they're gonna want SLS even out there if a hurricane's coming through. Uh, yeah, that could cause some serious damage to it. So they don't have the protection of what the shuttle had. They had kind of had they could close things up with it, and they don't have that anymore. So that would be that's gonna be fun if you're flying down, or if I'm flying down for like the October mm-hmm. window, and it just keeps getting delayed, and then it goes into November. But November, yeah, would probably be like if it gets to November. I think that's that's solid because weather is gonna be probably a little bit more um predictable um mm-hmm. uh, but when they did this last rollout um between the two white dresser attempts i think they said for the six weeks i think it was the timeline for like mm-hmm. changes and upgrades and, and fixes and they mm-hmm. kind of were close to that so um i would say <laughs> at at the best probably eight weeks not six weeks i think six weeks is very optimistic um, just based off NASA time. So it's probably definitely going to be closer to the eight week. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think six weeks, I think, I, I think NASA's optimism is like on a different scale than like SpaceX's optimism. So, you know, they're, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's more realistic, but it's realistic, but it's also like you can see through it still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they, I mean, they openly say like barring any unforeseen circumstances, which, um, very much could happen. But mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I would, I would on my calendar, like I would, I would leave off. You know, I leave room in, in late September or October for this this mission to happen. And, and um, I don't know about you, but um, I've not been down to uh, Kennedy Space Center to see this on the launch pad, SLS on the launch pad. I have not either. Um, I saw the core stage before it was, you know, a fully assembled rocket uh, <laughs> a, cu- a couple of times, <laughs> but I've, I've not seen it fully assembled yet. Um, but I, I and I, I definitely do want to see this mission happen. Artemis 1 is super exciting because it's like literally like the first time SLS were launched the first time Orion and the spacecraft will go around the moon and it's the precursor to uh, a crewed launch on Artemis 2 and then the moonwalk uh, mission on Artemis 3 so it's super exciting yeah and I, the only part of Artemis the only part of SLS I've seen really is is it when they arrived on the Pegasus barge so I got to see sure. actually was that even I've had to think back if that was even the SLS core stage or was that or was there I, the Pathfinder I had to think yeah, I don't even was it recent, like last year? It was, yeah, it was in the last year. So maybe I don't even. Yeah, that would be that would be Corsage. Yeah, I think it was Corsage. I just remember seeing yeah. the engines and, um, and uh, it was like 
it was cool. That's all I saw was the yeah, engine. Sure. And so I think that's the only time I ever saw it. So I'm super excited because like it's going to be the um, closest thing to a shuttle launch. It's going to be more powerful than a shuttle launch. And I was a big shuttle fan growing up. So yeah. um, super excited for that. Yeah, I, it would be. It will be. I would say mega. So I'm looking There's forward to that. So many people probably coming down for this launch because it is definitely other than Starship. I mean, it's definitely going to be the more powerful, most powerful. And those, I mean, SLS is going to be great. Uh, uh, Starship's going to be great. But like those, there's nothing's going to comp- compare to those SRBs. So yeah, I, I would say that in terms of like um, crowd size, I'm, you know, I, I talk to people that are out of the space circle, and you know, I, I would say like a large majority of the population still have no idea that, that we have an active moon program that will, you know, include people going back to the moon. Mm-hmm. So that's that's fun. Um, but I would I would also say that like the the, the the DM2 launch, you know, SpaceX's DM2 launch to go to the space station and, and, and rate uh, SpaceX's Dragon capsule for crew. Um, that was a really big turnout. And that was during a pandemic. So, so. <laughs> I don't think we've seen a launch that popular since then. Right. Think, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'm torn on whether uh, Artemis 1 mission will be that level because there's no crew. So, yeah. don't know. Well, it's like it is. So, it's going to draw a lot of different cl- crowds. Like, DM2 drew crowds for... A di- like a different reason than what SLS is going to draw crowds. Like SpaceX was, it's very more mainstream for like fans to get involved with and it has a huge audience. But just old school NASA also yeah. still has a huge amount of, of fans, especially in the older generations that would, that would love yeah. to come down and see one, more, you know, see another a space shuttle ish like launch. Or yeah. Or I, like I, that. So I have an uncle in Alabama who's never seen a launch before and he wants Artemis one to be his first mission he sees launch. That would so. be, that would be a crazy first. That would be a yeah. crazy first. Yep. So, so I mean, just in summary, I, I would, I would leave, uh, you know, pencil in the beginning of September is like possible for this launch to happen. <laughs> but I would say all of the end September- of the year, just the last quarter of the year, just pencil it in. Like realistically, September nineteenth to October fourth is pretty good. Yeah. And then beyond that, you know, just stay tuned for updates. Um, also in the Artemis space is this mission called Capstone, which I would call the Artemis mission no one knows about. So it is that happened today <laughs> yeah that happened early this morning uh capstone is a microwave size you know satellite um and it's pretty much its main mission is to uh mimic the orbit that gateway uh nasa's uh, lunar outpost space station type thing uh will be orbiting in and so it's gonna be mimic that same orbit it's gonna like test out double check make sure uh the, the models are correct with how to uh, be in that orbit um don't ask me how to what it, I, I just blanked on what it is. it's a long name near rectal linear uh, orbit or something like that. Uh, awesome. Something crazy long. And it's a very, apparently a very stable orbit, very easy to maintain. Doesn't take a lot of fuel. So it's a very like efficient and nice orbit to have. So they're going to test that out, test some communications th- side things with communicating between the lunar reconnaissance orbit orbiter um, instead of communicating to earth. Uh, they kind of like, be able to handle kind of like communications without necessarily needing um, humans on the on Earth to, to be involved, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting as well. So that launched on a Electron rocket. It was originally planned to launch here in the United States uh, at their launch site in Virginia, um, but NASA wasn't able to verify their uh, uh, termination, automated termination um, uh, system. So they had to launch it over in New Zealand. So if you watch the live stream at like, I think it started at like or something o'clock in the morning it was like just so much delay between the nasa hosts and the kennedy space center and then the the rocket lab hosts over in new zealand because they're like mm. almost 12 hours apart 
or more than that. <laughs> so it was kind of it was kind of a, a funny uh, thing to watch because uh, usually Rocket Labs are just Rocket Lab missions, and then like it's like twenty minutes for launch, and the live stream like is super quick. And this was like a long, like hour and a half long, um, you know, normal NASA thing. So sure, it launched. Uh, it launched with a photon kick stage, which is their like their third stage type of cool thing. The first time that that kind of version is launched, um, it's going to take a couple of days to get to the moon. Um, or at least a couple of days to kind of get its uh, last burn out to the moon. So sure, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's definitely something that like it's a it's a fairly important mission, um, but it's like it's kind of not really flashy. Um, yeah, it is kind of like a small little mission, and no one really knows about it. So I mean, I mean, for for, for those outside of the space circle, I would say that um, Rocket Lab is not a mainstream company name. No, uh, and and especially electron like it, it, to describe the rocket, it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum from from SLS, which is it's SLS about, is very big. Yeah, it's about the size of Falcon 9's landing leg. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tiny. It's a, <laughs> it, it's a relatively small rocket. Yeah. Uh, have they launched out of the U.S. at all yet? No, this was supposed to be their first launch, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're still waiting. I I have to double check if they've even gotten to the point of verifying their system. Like it's like their pads built. Like they have facilities yeah. there. They're just kind of like waiting for, I think, like the red tape to get through for or in a payload sure. at the launch. Um, I know that was expected much earlier, but about regulation and COVID and yep. et cetera. It was supposed to happen yeah. before COVID even started. Yeah, but then that, that delayed yep. it. So. so so Capstone is the um, preemptive step to the eventual Lunar Gateway. Gateway being the uh, moon orbiting station of sorts, sort of mm-hmm. like ISS, but for the moon. And I, I would also add at this point that there's still um, a lot of question marks about the timing of Gateway and, and the necessity of Gateway. So, you know, look yeah, at that in, in, in the next few years. Gateway is not like, uh, I mean, Gateway is going to happen. Like, I th- well, it, it all depends on how well Artemis goes out, but like Gateway is being built. So it's not at the point where like it, it's done deal going to happen, but mm-hmm. um, it's a fairly confidence that it's going to happen. But it's also kind of like what scale is it going to be at? Yeah, the, the 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 I think the big uh like like mind trap of Gateway is that currently with SLS being the rocket that gets Orion to the moon, that then you dock with Gateway as mm-hmm. the station orbiting the moon, and then you take a SpaceX Starship down to the moon, and the idea there is that you could avoid the Gateway element and go. To down to the moon with starship itself if sls was in the picture so, but sls remains in the picture so, so like here the funny thing is that so there's three yeah the, you just explain the three parts of kind of like of gateway of orion gateway and starship and there's there i think so they talked about it to a point like why launch orion when you can just launch a starship because they can both dock with gateway yeah. and starship's going to be far cheaper uh than, than orion so orion's kind of like this it's needed, but it already kind of it already has an expiration date on it, uh, mm-hmm. and so it's gonna be interesting to like where they find the point where they're gonna like okay we really don't need Orion anymore like we're done let's just do yeah. Starship. Um, so, at any rate, historically, Capstone will be remembered as the first step in the Artemis program, even yep. before the Artemis One mission kicks off. It is the uh, first and then last yep. Artemis mission. Yep. Yeah, the one no one knows about. No and then lastly, <laughs> is an update on a mission um, that that got some steam under or behind it a few years ago, which is the uh, NASA Psyche mission. That is a mission to um, send a spacecraft 
the Psyche spacecraft to uh, an asteroid called Psyche, which is unique because it isn't made of rock or gas. It is a body of metal mm-hmm. and it would be awfully fascinating to study uh, a body of metal <laughs> in space versus a rock or gas um, body in space. And uh, two years ago, there was, uh, you know, I'd say a really good, uh, moment in the success of this mission, which is that they approved the design of the mission and they are beginning production of the spacecraft. So, so that was a big milestone. Um, and then over this past year, they've made progress, which is that they've sent the spacecraft for Psyche to Kennedy Space, Space Center for processing. Um, there was a little bit of a delay there in, in, in their mission timing and their launch timing because they needed just to, you know, there wasn't like one issue at fault, but it was just, we need to, to verify everything here, the software and all. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. Well, it took too much time. And so this week NASA came out or last week NASA came out and they said, we've missed our launch window for 2022. Which, which was scheduled out in the future. I, I think that it was like August through. Yeah, sometime in the fall. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was, it, they haven't yet like approached the end of, um, the, the, the one window. And I think they're, they're like three weeks ago, they were even saying no earlier than September 20th. So that was the, the best case scenario. Well, th- they made a difficult decision. They said that we are not on track to meet this year's launch window. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't just pick any time. It's got to be based on positioning to, to have the space, spacecraft reach the, um, the, the, the asteroid. So, you know, at first guess, you say, okay, well, what, what happens next? They'll try again next year. And they do say that the next steps are looking at launch windows in 2022 and, tw- or, in 2023 and 2024 but the issue with that is you know a if they were to launch this year it would reach the asteroid in 2026 if they launch next year it's 2029 when they reach if they launch 2024 it's 2030 when they reach and all of these things risk um you know losing any any losing losing the backing of, of of NASA and uh and the the uh, teams that that look at this stuff and make sure that it's it's still an, an objective that should be invested in. Um, they've also the, the life cycle mission cost for Psyche, uh, according to NASA, is nine hundred eighty five million dollars, which includes launching on a SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket. Okay, cool. Um, and they've they've spent of that they've already spent seven hundred seventeen million of that so. Not much left to go, but it, which also seems like, okay, there's no way you're going to cancel this thing, but they, they do have to face, um, sort of a review and it's, it's these outside teams, you know, outside of NASA that look at this and and they make determinations, um, based on priority and, and, and the added costs of launching next year. Um, and so, the the actual next step is to see if this is still something that they want to do. It's entirely possible that they could say, for now, let's keep this off of the plan and you know call you know call it a loss, yeah, or or no longer you know they, they not not go over the the billion dollar mark, but we'll see. Yeah, and there is a price cap for because it's part of a discovery program. Um, yeah, NASA has so this was alongside. Um, uh, another or was announced alongside another mission that already launched uh, last year, and mm. so it can't go over a certain amount of funding. And while the spacecraft is built, 
and like all they have to do is just verify you know uh the orbital the oral mechanics part of it you know just the small mm-hmm. slight not so important part and just mm-hmm. get in there and but like uh and some of it can happen like leading up to launch and during launch but the issue is that they only have like i think like 40 days or 70 days something like that um october october 11th was the cutoff date yeah they have like mm-hmm. what sense that once the rocket launches they have so many days after that to complete crucial like um milestones so they can't finish mm-hmm. the testing between those like after launch they can still do testing after it launches to verify mm-hmm. it uh, but they have to like do it by a certain date and they weren't comfortable with how much margin they have so that's how mm-hmm. they, they had to pull it so um it's kind of sad because yeah. like it's a big spacecraft like it's not like a it's about the size of probably like an suv a little bit mm-hmm. larger than an suv so it's, it's a big spacecraft. bigger than a microwave yeah. it's launching on a falcon heavy which we don't see a lot of those um anymore um mm-hmm. they had it did have two secondary payloads that nasa is going to have to now figure out what to do with they were um supposed to go on uh go off and and check out two other asteroids um mm-hmm. and so if psyche kind of like gets delayed a couple of years then they kind of have to like okay like what do we do with these other payloads go with it or if it gets canceled what do they do with these other payloads now because mm-hmm. there's not like another rocket that's going out that way um mm-hmm. So it would be interesting to see. This is going to be kind of like a messy little scenario that we'll we'll keep an eye at, and hopefully, uh, when a budget comes out, we don't see a zeroed out uh, line yep. for so, Psyche. So, yeah, the quote on that from from NASA was that the uh, independent assessment team, yep. typically made up of experts from government, academia, and industry, will review possible options for next steps, including estimated cost implications for the agency's discovery program and planetary science portfolio. Also, will be considered. So. Uh, TBD on Psyche for now. Let's let's move on to SpaceX. So there's uh, there's a thing happening with SpaceX and Starlink, where SpaceX has emailed customers to position petition the FCC and Congress. Um, yeah, <laughs> over the company Dish and Spectrum that Dish wants to use that would affect SpaceX Starlink performance, I believe. I, so. It seems like this has to do. So it has to do with Dish and uh, another company, RS something. Uh, they released this report stating that uh, ground-based um, like uh, services can use the 12 gigahertz uh, wavelength and not disrupt space-based assets. In uh, mm-hmm. SpaceX and it's several other companies, it's not just SpaceX. It's, it's IntelSat and OneWeb and SES and uh, mm-hmm. even Google and Microsoft all added in like. No, this was this is not a good idea. This is going to like uh, I think uh, Spa- uh, SpaceX said like seventy three percent or so in the seventy percent would like would ca- uh, of time would be down for Starlink if this would like go through. Um, yeah. So now uh, an email blast went out to all Starlink customers. This seems very. This is like I didn't expect to see this today. Uh, <laughs> an email blast go out to all their. All their customers saying, hey, go reach out to your like congressman and the FCC and get this turned around. I'm like, I remember getting these uh, from like AT&T about like certain channels not wanting to negotiate and go reach out to your oh, local sure. channels. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, this is yeah. so weird. No one's going to do this. But I mean, maybe they will. As, um, as, a, as a Sterling customer, I would feel strongly about uh about this because you you want your investment and your service to continue to go forward um if you're out of the starlink customer base then you can look at it a little differently and you know i don't necessarily have a have a take here you know where it lands but um you know 
the idea is Dish, and then you mentioned RS, RS Access. RS Access, thank you, yes. They, these companies have this, this uh, kind of group, a 5G for 12 gigahertz coalition, and they, you know, <laughs> I guess it's sort of a, what, you know, um, for the FCC, they should, they, they should probably look at, you know, what helps the most people in, in the biggest way. Mm-hmm. And I guess the challenge is, do they favor Star, or do they have a SpaceX and Starlink, or do they think there's a better opportunity for competing companies to use this space? Um, but if you're a Starlink customer, you certainly would want no changes in, in, in the plan because it, it does very much affect SpaceX. I mean, they, like you said, they, they, they say that they could expect 74% of downtime for, you know, which is not good if you're a paying customer. No, so, it's not good at all. And the FCC has to play a really fine line with this because it's like they're kind of like the ones they are the ones in charge of of like who gets to use what spectrum and uh, yeah. what it can be used on, and so they kind of can't like shut it down because otherwise you have nothing happening. But you can't like open it up wide and let it just become a hot like a, a complete mess. Like mm. so even a lot of people are complaining about like five G has the ability to to do that. If everyone everyone starts using five G devices, which I think is it was, it was a whole thing where the FCC. Uh, late in the game to um, C-spec from 5G, the mid-band mm-hmm. stuff that kind of has the biggest impact on on improving 5G experiences in the U.S. Uh, air- airlines, airline companies were really against the idea because it could af- it could affect older um, flight hardware in terms of knowing you know fl- your your um, your height, and so it would it would be dangerous to land when you couldn't see landing uh, strips visually. And you know they worked on an agreement, but it was complicated, and it was also very disorganized. It was late in the game. It was like you had a few delays of launching C-band spectrum, and then ultimately they, they agreed to say like, okay, we're gonna keep this down, you know, hold back for a couple of years for our full release, and by then the airlines need to catch up, you know. <laughs> and this is like that where it's like Starlink is already, you know, it's already in service. Like you have paying customers that rely on this stuff now, and to do anything that sort of interferes with the experience is. Um, I think you can necessarily be frustrated at the FCC and the government for for you know any risk of of changing your service experience, especially some of this drastic. Like if, it, if it's, yes. I mean, of course they're going to be both sides are going to be biased towards their side. So is it actually seventy four percent of downtime? I don't know. Maybe maybe there's like a range and they're taking the high side. Uh, and like, is it you know on their side? Is it completely um? free of any harm you know dish side is it completely free of harm maybe not but like they're taking their side of the range that's better for them so it's probably somewhere it's gonna be somewhere in the middle of how actually bad this is uh sure whether it's on the lower side or higher side you know we'll we'll have to you know figure out you know later on what the fcc thinks i also this week want to point to a starlink rv review so this is the um, the new starlink to go uh service this is from the verge i think we'll we'll, we'll link this in the show notes but um, Verge rates things on a score of 110. They give Starlink RV, uh, an eight, which is pretty good. They, they like the connectivity when you're truly remote and that you only pay for the months that you use. And, um, that if you use Starlink RV, you get priority access to, to Dishy, the, the little. Yeah. Satellite. I didn't know that when I saw that. I didn't know that you got priority, uh, with getting your, your, your Dishy McFlat face. Uh, <laughs> yes, and, and, and they also praise it for being less power hungry than they expected. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what they point to as sort of you know, challenging is that it's pricey. It, it, it's not officially rated for use in a moving vehicle. It's true. And that it's deprioritized compared to residential subscribers. So if you're in an area where there's already Starlink service in a community, 
you're not going to um, you know have the best performance as, mm-hmm. as if you were in an area without Starlink uh, service to residents. So that that's a, that's a challenge that uh, changes over time too as, yeah. as Starlink expands. The interesting though about the it not being. I- and not being ready to be on moving vehicles. I wonder if that is a regulatory thing and not a hardware thing because they, it is used on moving vehicles. Uh, right. I remember the guy who was pulled over, who has had one on the, the roof, the hood of his car. Well, it's also on SpaceX's ships on SpaceX's drone ships. Like, yes. And uh, planes move and they're getting, they're getting uh plane service rolled out yeah. slowly. So I bet, yeah. I wonder if, this is, if that's a regulatory issue that they have to like put, I think it's mo- with the FCC. I think it's mostly a, and safety. A, I think it's mostly a promise of, you've already got variables like where you are Mm -hmm. and if you're competing with residents for service and if there's an obstruction in your way a storm in in the path of that could that could you know mess up your service but it's way easier to guarantee service in a a stationary position than it is in a moving vehicle that that goes through communities yeah Yeah, it's probably much higher i I wonder and we don't have like i mean there's just on uh they're not using any special hardware on on their ships they're just bolted on the railings so right. it's interesting. And also as the constellation is built out and you can expand the coverage and you can you can you know you can move to like a carrier model where you expect to have service and, and lots and lots of places as you move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still, you know, as 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 mature as Starlink is as a constellation compared to anything else, it's still not done. It's yeah, it's crazy that I think how many thousands of satellites they have up there. It's not even close to being you know, fully operational and fully, even in a financially viable state yet. It's still, that's right. They're still selling it for a loss and they're still, you know, not launching the the most cost effective satellites. Yeah. W- what is good though, is as many Starlink mission launches as we see with Falcon 9 rockets. I know we saw many, many of those before there was actually a, a, a beta service available. And, and I think Starlink has since left beta for, for yep. most customers, but uh, it, it's definitely great to see that going from a, a, products a service in the making to a service that people actually rely on so that's awesome yeah um, let's shift gears a little bit in spacex and talk about spacesuits. <laughs> i'll let you take this away yeah so this week uh we got the source selection paper for uh nasa's uh, e- uh eva services contract they announced um oh gosh e- been... eva being uh what uh, uh... extravehicular activity yeah like a spacewalk spacewalk yeah. pretty much yeah. um and that was announced, I think, like, yeah, beginning of this month. Um, they finally released their source selection paper, which kind of details out who all um, uh, kind of, like, pr- made proposals and the whole process that went into it and, the, and usually prices, but they still haven't um, given us prices yet. Uh, and if you remember, last year when this kind of, like, whole thing started going down with uh, NASA's own internal suit project um, program that was much behind schedule and uh, wasn't going to be able to... It was not going to meet the 2024 deadline, which is what um, was the deadline at the time. And so it said probably 2025, but it probably won't even meet that. Uh, and that's like the current deadline is 2025. So it didn't get funding. And so, yeah, so they went to the commercial market and they went and Elon Musk goes, yeah, we'll be happy to help. And it was talking about there's, you know, possibly having a suit, which was a rumor at the time. And then it got confirmed because of the Polaris program. If you remember that, that was announced mm-hmm. um, a few months ago. Uh, they're going to do an EVA and so on a SpaceX made suit. So they have a suit. Polaris is supposed to launch end of this year. There is no sign of SpaceX in this, in this <laughs> proposal pro, uh, uh, statement at all. Like they, they didn't even submit a proposal. There are only three, com- there's three companies uh, that submitted anything 
Only two of those, which were the two that won Axiom Space and Colin Aaron Space, were the only two that actually submitted full proposals. And then, they, of course, they won, which is so. Not- so all two companies that that correctly submitted won. Yeah, there was one other company, and I and I the name it's deep in the paper. I wouldn't be able to find it. It's uh, I don't remember. It's lost my name, but I no one's heard of it before. And they improperly <laughs> submitted like one part of it, and so it got thrown out. But I would also say that Collins is not a um, even in space circles a household name. No, Collins is not either. Yeah. But Collins is, is is a very well known company in the aerospace market. They uh, them as sure. well as uh, part of their team is I, uh, ICL Dover, which made the uh, Apollo suits. Um, and they have uh, Collins has experience making the suits that are currently on uh, the ISS. So, like they're very much a capable company. A lot of <laughs> experience with uh, NASA. A- Axiom has a lot of experience with NASA with their uh, space station program that they're going to be mm-hmm. testing on the ISS. So like they're two very well companies. It's just shocking that SpaceX like was very public about helping or at least Elon was. Uh, and sure. they're, and they're, they have a suit in the works. Like there's it's a program well, going on. So why wouldn't you want to like submit to NASA and get a little extra funding instead of development all hundred percent by yourself. Um, and they're not. <laughs> Yeah, and these are the spacesuits that will be used on Polaris. the Artemis three mission. Well, oh, well, sorry, from, sorry, the, the, yes, yes, those. Yeah, whatever wins out will be what's used on the Artemis three mission. Mm-hmm. To you know, you're not going to have the 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 traditional uh, NASA spacesuit, and it's going to be used on a on the past on a Starship. Sure, which is sure. Even, like which is even funnier. It's like they're using yeah. a Starship, so why wouldn't you put your name on there to have both the lander and the suit instead of having the now work with another contractor to get support for the suit on your starship vehicle yeah i i would say i would ask are you are you or anyone is anyone shocked about this development um <laughs> i think when it when it came out over the weekend it was kind of like like okay well we're shocked that only two people came it is sure, that was the most surprising that part, was the most surprising. spacex I, isn't i didn't see a lot of commotion that spacex didn't uh like do it but like i'm also like you're not gonna get a lot of lot criticism about spacex on the space twitter side of things especially fair um yeah but like i was just shocked because it's like why wouldn't you do this like it seems like such a a a no-brainer idea to at least submit a proposal especially when you publicly state that you'll help um yeah yeah no the two the two only two people submitting proper proposals was shocking although it is like a very more niche um, and not as maybe not not I guess not as flashy of a contract versus like the the lander, uh, the lander everyone wants on, but the suit is like a very more specific, and you have less leeway of like you know y- you better not mess it up because like there's no backup system other than the suit. At least with the lander, you can like there could be a abort system or something like that. Sure, I I, I do think that the suit like if if you're making a lander that does seem harder than making a spacesuit like you can but there's, <laughs> there's there's only so many ways you can design a spacesuit and meet the criteria and with yeah. the lander as we saw with the three proposals there's many different ways of doing that there's also a um, lot I, more companies that build rockets and, sure. and, and so landers kind of just or, or want to yeah or at least want to uh yeah. the companies that have the knowledge and the not just the knowledge but also the technical ability to make a spacesuit is probably way less like there's spacex boeing uh collins and axiom like they're probably the only ones that i could and nasa like other than that i mean unless you're looking at outside parties like russia and china like and mm-hmm. there's not many other people who have made spacesuits yeah so so yeah uh we'll see what happens there uh it, it, 
one of the, the one of the surprising things, like the day of the announcement, was that we didn't initially see any designs for these spacesuits. It was just nope. that they won, and we still don't really have like. There's a render from Collins, but like, yeah, it just kind of looks like the Apollo suits. Yeah, but like in a this, this, this seems less of a competition for what is the best company to make these, and more of a um, who is willing to come to the table and, and do this. Yeah, um, and and not spend as much money as we would. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it isn't a particularly good investment uh, from a company side uh I, I will say in jest of course but that uh i, I have the spacex backpack oh yeah and it's it, it, they they say on the backpack that it's um rated for for inner inner inner, inner uh inner, inner cells travel but you you, you interplanetary travel oh okay, but gotcha. um on earth my zippers are broken so i don't know <laughs> i don't know your <laughs> bear quality is uh is not the greatest <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, ULA before we wrap up for the week. So, um, there's there's been some discussion and developments around uh, United Alliance Alliance's next generation rocket called Vulcan, and um, I, I would say that the when when you look at Vulcan and you wonder when will this thing launch for the first time, there's there's a few elements of it. One is when is ULA going to be ready with their hardware? Well, they've, they've, they've gotten there. They're, they're, they're all but good to go. Uh, when is the engine going to be ready for the rocket? Because they source the, the engine from Blue Origin. It's the BE4 engine. Mm-hmm. And that's been a years-long point of delay. But they're making progress. They expect to, to give ULA, be, uh, Blue Origin expects to give ULA the engine by the, you know, sometime this summer. <laughs> and be ready to be ready to fly by the end of the year. They even shared a, uh, photos last week of of a blue of a Blue Origin BE4 engine in Huntsville on a test stand. So mm-hmm. that's progress. But then the the other element that is less less you know I guess discussed as a factor is the first mission for Vulcan, which is to send uh, Astrobotic the company their Peregrine. Um, spacecraft. It, it's a lunar lander to the moon, and that that was a factor last year where Astrobotics that they just needed more time to make this thing than than planned, so it wouldn't be ready for the end of last year to launch. So they 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 hoped it would be ready by the beginning of this year, um, but you know, I guess basically they. They, 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 that was a factor last year. BE4, you know, it wasn't the end, it wasn't the end delay though. It was the BE4 engine still, but it's possible that this year that the BE4 engine could be ready before this lunar lander is ready. And to that end, there's a, there's a new uh, statement from Tori Bruno, the ULA CEO today. Uh, he told Aviation Week that it's possible that if Astrobotic is not ready with a lunar lander, that they could make the first Vulcan launch use a dummy payload mm-hmm. so that they can, they can, they can write out, they can, you know, say that they've completed a Vulcan Centaur one uh, launch and then they would move the astrobotic mission to early next year. So that's, that's a little bit of a surprise that it might not be blue origins engine delay. That's the, the issue ultimately for a Vulcan launch that it could be the, um, the astrobotic lunar lander, and that would, but but that, that that might not rule out a Vulcan launch for this year yeah. because they could do a dummy payload mission. What do you think about that? So so you didn't. 
I, I tried doing this. I reached over and I grabbed my Vulcan hat. You saw it on the, on the, I tried to put it on while you were talking. I forgot I have a headset on. So that didn't yes. work. Um, but I like, that's, I like Vulcan. I lo- it's like my secret, it's secretly my favorite rocket that hasn't launched yet. <laughs> and like it's no longer a secret, but, uh, it, it's such a, it's such an exciting, I don't know. It's just, it's just a cool, I, I'm always excited for new rockets and this doesn't really make, I guess it doesn't, uh, Tori has said, Tori Bruno has said that, um, you know, he's, they're going to give as much time to, to astrobotics as, as they need to get their payload ready. Like they're not on a, on a strict timeline to get Vulcan. Like they want to get Vulcan flying, but they're not necessarily on a super strict timeline. Um, and so mm-hmm. now I think we're looking at like possibly early, early 2023 for our Peregrine to, uh, to launch, mm-hmm. which is also around the same time as the first Dream Chaser from Sierra Space, which is the, their space plane, um, you know, uncrewed, uh, space plane is supposed mm-hmm. to launch as well. Um, and the whole point of launching Peregrine first was they didn't need to do a dummy payload because they verified, you know, all this ver they did all this verification for Vulcan on Atlas Five. They they've tested the everything but pretty much the the engines uh mm-hmm. in flight already. So it was kinda like it's kind of kinda isn't doesn't really make sense to do a dummy payload if like they've already supposedly have verified everything. The point was the not need uh un you know, no, a dummy payload mission. Uh, mm-hmm. But I guess they're really, un- I guess they're part, maybe Tori Bruno's a little impatient and he wants to get his new rocket launching before probably Starship launches. <laughs> I think publicly he's much more patient than privately. Oh yeah. And I, and I would add that this is a, we'll see, this is kind of a, you know, secondary plan. Yeah. But, but possible, <laughs> but possible, especially if yeah. they like, if they really want to get Vulcan launching, and say they've yep. launched it and get it ready because I bet there's I there's probably people who want to buy Vulcan launches that are waiting sure. for it to fly before they purchase a seat. And 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 ULA does have a number of customers over a couple over two dozen over three dozen customers. Um, Amazon being a big one yep. with their satellite service, internet satellite service in the works. But uh, and then and then of course some beauty stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah. And Boeing's you interested know, in it because I mean if they want to get their Starliner flying. Um, they they're running out of yeah. atlases um it, sure. of course still they're they've already going to run out the, the timeline on on uh on the iss with with what atlas rockets are left but if they plan to use um starliner for a future commercial space station uh they're going to need to have vulcan um, ready to fly or <laughs> right or bite the bullet and maybe go to spacex but that's never going to happen but yeah <laughs> yep so We'll see here. I think this is something that um, as as a space fan and a rocket fan, especially you want to see this thing launch as soon as possible. And that's, you know, I think that part of it says go for that dummy payload. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I hope but, they make it exciting. Though. <laughs> I hope they just put like usually dummy payloads other than SpaceX's dummy payloads. Uh, they've always just been concrete mass. Blocks. Just, yeah. yeah, just concrete blocks. Uh, yeah. And I hopefully you will do something fun. Like launch something. I mean, they don't have to launch a Tesla, but like launch something fun. Launch a yeah. launch a Rivian. They're part. They're they're close with with Bezos. Have them launch a Rivian. I don't think it's a great investment, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're so. I've I've heard they're pretty hard to deliver to now. So there would be a lot of sure. really angry pre order holders. Yes, <laughs> launch yes. a truck before they got theirs. Launch a Cybertruck. How about that? Man? Launch a Cybertruck. <laughs> What would that message mean? <laughs> well, all right. That is this week's Space Explorer podcast. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe if you don't already. 
We are in the midst of a weekly release schedule after a lengthy hiatus. Yeah, and, uh, we're back. Yeah, yeah. Bi yeah. weekly, once with me, uh, myself, and Zach, and then the other week with myself and Derek. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, sustainable. It's right? sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Just just like uh, the moon, moon stuff. Yeah, the moon is. Yeah, we're we're trying to become as sustainable as the moon is. That's our goal. Yeah, it's it's a labor of love. So so huge thanks to anyone who listens. And if you enjoy the podcast, uh, share it with friends and family. We we love to um, have an audience to speak to. So really appreciate that, uh, Seth. If anybody has any feedback, where can they send that feedback to? Uh, you can email me probably Kirk K U R K at spaceexplorer.com. I don't. We don't have a SC podcast email like Happy Hour. Uh, sorry, Zach. Okay. Uh, but uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, I am at Seth Kirk, S-E-T-H-K-U-R-K, and Zach's at? I am Apollo Zach on Twitter, A-P-O-L-O-Z-A-C. And we will see everybody next week. I'll see everyone in two weeks.